welcome to the latest episode of the Just Bloody Post-It podcast. Conversations to inspire and make bolder those of us putting ourselves out there on the internet. I'm Helen Perry, your host. I've pushed through the pain of being visible online and learned to enjoy it and grow an audience that powers my business. And now I tell other people how to do it too kind of a different episode today because I had this thing in mind that I wanted to talk about and thought who's going to be able to unpick this with me. Have you ever done two jobs that are the same but different? You see I often think about how similar my old job, I was a journalist, is to running a social media profile. The skills you learn in a newsroom give you a real head start because on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, wherever, you're running a show, a magazine, a channel, filling it with content for exactly your people. So let me introduce you to Basola Evans, Deputy Editor, the newly appointed Deputy Editor, congratulations Basola, of the gorgeous interiors magazine Living Etc. She's been a journalist for 20 years and knows exactly what I'm talking about. It does really work to be specific and it can be a bit sort of scary at first because you think oh god I'm going to be alienating lots of people but it's okay to alienate the wrong people. If you have a shop, the people that would not buy from you anyway, they're just sort of tourists. (laughs) But then in that, you'll find the people who are really into what you're into. So yes, we can alienate some people. Go for it. Basola tells us why. Also, listen to hear her tips for writing with more ease and confidence and also how to interview and not interview people on Instagram live. Also, we touch on what it's like to be an introvert in a world that expects everyone to be out there. It's good stuff. I began by asking Vasela what got her into the business of journalism. So I've been in journalism for 20 years, but I have done various things within that. So I went into, I started with features, sort of general features. I have done celebrity journalism, which I did for quite a while. And I sort of edited a celebrity magazine for about seven years. Who did you interview? What kind of people? Oh, goodness. Well, I was editor. So I I wasn't fortunate enough to be going out on a day-to-day basis to interview people. But, you know, you got invited to lots of weird and wonderful things, you know, sort of, you know, sort of TV awards and Brit awards and all those sorts of stuff. Yes, I once danced at the table with um, Mel B, Scary Spice, which was quite bonkers at a <laughs> at an oh, event. That... <laughs> Those are the days before mobile phones. You, you actually had like records of it all. I don't think I want to relive um, some of the things that we, we did in a sort of picture image form or video form. So I'm quite relieved I escaped that. For most of the years I was a journalist, I was at Radio 1 Newsbeat. So I... I was on the more serious newsy side of it, but being in the Radio 1 building meant that, you know, there was just all this stuff going on all the time. And I have to say a career highlight for me was interviewing all of Blazing Squad. I mean, there was... There was about 1,500 of them. I know. So I know, like you say, it's these like little lovely memories that you have. So how did you get into the profession? Is that something that you were really driven and wanted to do? 
Yes, well, I, I was very lucky because um, I knew from quite an early age that I wanted to be a journalist. Pretty much from the time I was about 12, I knew I wanted to be a journalist and I never really wavered from that. So I was quite strategic, I suppose, in terms of how I planned my career. I knew, um, you know, from school, I knew which A-levels would suit me best for my career in journalism. From school, I knew which degree I needed to do in order to sort of facilitate this. So I kind of knew what I needed to do. I'd planned my postgraduate course um, while I was 13, while I was still at school, because I just, I'm, I, I mean, I'm a Virgo, so I'm a natural, I'm on a planet. Oh, me too, me too. There are so, oh, there are so many Virgos in newsrooms. I'm so sorry if anybody's listening who's not a journalist. This is good. <laughs> but, you know, there are, it's obviously is something about the way we are and the way we work, I think. Yes, I like to plan. I'm not one for surprises. I don't like sudden change. I mean, I know this, that inevitably happens. You can't, you can't escape that. But I am generally, a planner and I just don't like to be surprised so um yeah so from the time I was 13 I'd actually mapped out exactly what I needed to do in order to become a journalist and that included working out my postgraduate um course even though I hadn't even done my GCSEs that is what I followed and I and I did it to a T I clearly did very good research because I it, it worked and I kind of did it um, and I, I went straight into journalism. So it's it's something that I've always done. And I didn't really have a plan B. I had a vague plan B, which was to be um, a psychotherapist. But I never really properly planned to fulfil that. I always intended to sort of do the journalism side of things. So it worked out. Amazing. It, it didn't work out. I think it's I think it's changed quite a bit now in terms of um, when we when we were studying journalism. You know, it was very defined. So you you know you either went into print journalism or broadcast, and you know, sort of the people who kind of were maybe perhaps a bit more introvert were interested in print. They were interested in being behind the story and just interpreting the story for an audience and not really interested in them being part of that story. The people who are more jazz hands, look at me, <laughs> were the ones who went into broadcast journalism, who wanted to be on screen and wanted to be roving reporters and all that sort of stuff. And so what has happened over the years, obviously, that has kind of become a bit more muddied. And every so often I have talks with, you know, I have discussions with people who, like me, went into the industry to be print journalists um, and to be behind the scenes. And we kind of sort of slightly have this jokey kind of dismay of sort of, you know, now it's, you know, you're expected to sort of be able to write, but be able to talk on radio or podcast like this, or, you know, be, you know, be visual, be look after your brand. There's all these elements that you now have to think about as a journalist and it's not as defined anymore. So it's been a shift. And I think if you're naturally not inclined to put yourself out there, it's, you know, it's a definite shift in how you, how you treat your profession. Oh my goodness. I think that just applies to so many things now, you know, if you you have a little shop, you've got to be on Instagram being the face of it. It it is difficult. And I do feel for people who are not that way inclined, because I'm not naturally that way inclined. I think people who don't know me well will think I'm very kind of, you know, jazz hands and very, you know, just, you know, very lively and, you know, sort of up for being in in front of people. But that's not my natural personality. There's certain things I've learned to do because of the job I'm in. 
But um, naturally, I'm an introvert, and I, I just, I would quite happily just stay at home and not see see anyone for for months on end. That's my natural leaning, which I have to fight against all the time. It is to an extent something that can be learned. Yes, definitely it can be learned. But what I will say is that if you're a natural introvert, it can be learned. However, you have to give your sp- your yourself the space to recover. I, I sort of need more recovery time than someone who's a natural um, extrovert. You know, once I've done something quite big or I've done a big panel discussion or I've done a big, you know, sort of speech or something that's very out there, I kind of need to kind of just sit down and in a dark room for a bit and just take, you know, sort of just breathe out. Whereas, you know, I suppose if you're a natural extrovert, you just bounce on to the next thing. You have ended up in the world of interiors are are interiors a passion of yours or is it just uh, actually it was a sort of a career progression that that brought you there so it's always something I was interested in but it's not something I probably would have gone into in my early 20s in my early 20s it was far more exciting to go into features and celebrity that was you know there was a big celebrity culture around that time and it was just great fun and there's a sort of you know sort of person in their 20s that you know you wanted to be out partying and doing stuff so it's not something that I considered in terms uh, uh, journalistically even though it's something that I've always been interested in my my father is a retired architect I've always been interested in 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 property and design and floor plans. I'm obsessed about floor plans. If I go to Right Move and like a house, the first thing I look at before even the pictures, I look at the floor plan. I'm, you know, still weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed. That's the with, last I'm thing I would look at. Oh goodness, I love a floor plan. So I was always, um, I was always interested, but. I think that you become more interested in in interiors as you get older. And I went freelance um, after I had my daughter, who's now 10. And so I was doing lots of lifestyle um, writing, lifestyle and celebrity writing, and started to sort of pick up more interiors writing in my freelance capacity. Because the, the great thing about being freelance is that suddenly if you're not working for one specific title you can work for a number of titles and actually sort of experience different areas. Um, so I started to do more interiors. And, and I just, I just realised that actually I would rather... I was getting more and more annoyed by the other things I got and more and more excited about the interiors commissions I got. And I just thought to myself, you know what, I just need to be working... I, I just need to be working fully in interiors because I, I'm getting less interest, interest in all the other stuff. And uh, and that's how it came about. I started doing more in- interiors work, and then the opportunity came for me to work on uh, living, etc. And I sort of jumped at the chance, as as you would. <laughs> I have often thought, and um, you know, this, this is not an original thought. People say it very often that putting together a social account, wherever you're doing it, really, or a or a personal brand, is a bit like building a magazine of content different types of content so as a journalist on a a pretty sexy magazine how do you go about building that magazine identity and knowing how you're going to kind of stick to it and speak to a certain readership probably the key element is to know who your target audience is and 
I think that is so, so crucial. Sometimes people are trying to aim at lots of people because they think, well, if I aim, if I, you know, if I aim at lots of people, then I'll get lots of people, you know, sort of responding. But I don't think that works. I really, I think it's really important to narrow down exactly who your audience is. And then once you do that, you're able to work out what their their needs are, who this person is, what they would be doing at a certain time of the day. What age are they? So where is their mindset? Do they have young kids or teenagers or grandchildren? You know, so you really kind of need to hone in on who this audience is. And I think that once you do that, then everything else falls into place because then you're you're really able to kind of work out who that person is and, and aim accordingly. I feel listening to you that like when you're thinking of either content ideas or or writing for one of the magazines, but slow that you've got a person in your mind, like maybe one person or a few different type of people. Yeah. Is that how you write? Is that how you commission pieces? That's totally how how we write. I mean, for instance, on Living Etc, we know that our audience um, sort of generally would be, oh, you know, sort of you know, a woman probably in her, you know, sort of early 40s, you know, who would perhaps have young, you know, young kids, but quite design savvy. Um, so you you know that there's certain things you don't need to explain because they're quite design savvy and they're sort of looking for something more. They know what's on the high street. So they're looking for something a bit more interesting that they wouldn't have been able to discover themselves. Whereas a, a, a different magazine would be more focused on, say, high street brands, because that is what that shopper is looking for, that reader is looking for. So yes, it really is just narrowing down and writing to that to that person and knowing how they think and where they're likely to shop and what their attitudes are, and what their values are. And you actually just build a picture of this person that you're, you know, you're, you're aiming at. And if you hedge your bets and kind of try and be a bit like, oh, well, maybe they've maybe they would like some high street stuff, and oh, I don't know, maybe they would like some antiques or whatever. You just you dilute the message. We're always we're always yeah. seeking out the person that is yeah. the mo- most right for us. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's very important whether you're doing content for you know online or social or print to just you know stick to your guns and find your tribe. I mean, for example, and you, I'm sure you know this, I post in large kitchens. Not everyone wants to follow an account that just, you know, posts kitchens. And that's okay. But there is, once you find your niche and once you're quite clear on what you are delivering, then you will find that tribe or that tribe will find you. But you have to be quite clear. I mean, if I was just posting various rooms and various things. I mean, I suppose that would still come under interiors umbrella, but it's not as specific. No, I mean, um, there's so no. many different styles you could... Exactly, you know. yeah. I think it what it does really work to be specific, and it can be a bit sort of scary at first, because you think, oh, God, I'm going to be alienating lots of people. But it's okay to alienate the wrong people, or the people, in the case of if you if you have a shop, the people that would not buy from you anyway, they're just there to just, you know, they're just sort of tourists. 
it's okay to alienate those people, but then in that you'll find the people who are really into what you're into. Once you've got that 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 tribe and that group, I think what is really nice for people to hear, uh, and again, it comes from the magazine world, is that you don't need to reinvent the wheel all the time then. You can have your sets yeah. of content that you turn out regularly. Yeah. Again, like you, if you flick through a magazine, they it, it follows the same flow every week or every yeah. month. Yeah. You've got your letter yeah. from the editor, and then so how do you build up the different kind of key bits of content in in a, one of your magazines? I think the key thing is always being aware of the needs of the reader. Always been open to ideas. I think one key thing with magazine production is just having a real collaborative approach. So you're having ideas from various people being put together in one pot and then it makes magic. As journalists, you're always curious. So you're always picking up things that you've seen or you've read about or you've heard. You know, I'm always snapping things when I'm out and about or making, you know, sort of notes in my notes on my phone. And then you kind of just have a brainstorm and you just kind of put it all together and see what what sticks really. And then in between that, you have the not, you know, you have PRs messaging you with, you know, oh, we're looking after this new brand, you know, you know, do you want to have a look at our new cutlery or whatever it is, new cushions, and you have a look at that, and you know, so it's real, it's a real mix of ways of getting the content, but it's always having the reader in mind. I think the key thing is that you're always trying to sort of intrigue and entertain your your reader really and offer information that they won't necessarily get from elsewhere be curious is a really good bit of a really good bit of advice if you can uh, you know if you can be constantly on the lookout for things yeah. that your person is going to be interested in it becomes a it very quickly becomes something that you don't even you can't even switch on and off mm. it's just always there isn't it like you know if yeah you're yeah at the shops or if you're looking at instagram or you're looking at a magazine and you're yeah. you're constantly picking up on oh okay this is something i do miss having other people to work with though it's quite difficult to come up with ideas on your own all the time it, i will it say is, that yeah no no it is um i think i've gone through sort of ups and downs during this sort of pandemic in terms of working from home my, my feelings about working from home initially I was like oh my god this is amazing why why do we not all work from home I'm never going into an office again and now kind of you know 18 20 months in I really see the value of working with people I would love to ask you about writing because it's something that you are obviously really comfortable with it was something you wanted to do with your life but lots of people find putting pen to paper and getting their thoughts out or putting finger to phone screen and getting their thoughts out really very hard what tips would you have for people who find writing difficult I'd say don't put any pressure on yourself. You know, feel free to start and stop and come back to it. You know, don't feel you just have to get it all down in once, you know, and, you know, think about what you want to say before you start trying to write. Think about what, you know, what exactly am I trying to say here and who am I saying it to and how would I want to receive that information? And, don't think that what you write cannot be edited. So just start putting things down 
And you can always edit it afterwards. I mean, often, even, you know, even now, I, you know, I, I kind of prioritise just getting stuff down. If you've got a bit of something to work with, yes, you yeah. can improve on it. But yes, I would, exactly. I would absolutely never turning it back to Instagram again or Twitter or wherever. I wouldn't just open the app and type in what I was going to say. No, I would always write it in notes first, and then go back to it, and then maybe go back to it again yeah. before yeah. I actually put it out there. And yeah. it would probably still have a typo in it just because yeah. that's life. <laughs> but you know, but it definitely, if you can just get something down. And build it from there. Yeah. Don't yeah. Don't assume that everyone who writes great prose just sit there, sits down and writes it in five minutes. You you never know how long someone's taken to write even fifty words. They may have gone over it ten times. So don't put that pressure on yourself. Don't give yourself a hard time if you know you've sat there for an hour and you've written twenty words. Just go and have a you know, just go and have a coffee, come back to it, come back to come back to it the next day or later on. And I think one good thing to do just to help write your writing is to read. Just read as much as you can. Ideally just books, not scrolling Instagram. <laughs> Although I think that still officially counts as reading. But I mean, <laughs> Do you know what can be useful for, I find for that kind of writing, for almost like constant headline writing, is just like paying attention to what emails have caught your eye, which ones you've actually bothered to read, which bit of storytelling has pulled you in somewhere on a website or or in a book or in a magazine and just kind of pay attention because there's so much going on now. There is so much that we could choose to read. Which are the things that actually get you? Yeah. And how can you you maybe emulate that or take away some of that or use the turn of phrase I don't know what it might be I think that's really really helpful it's just constantly reading looking at how other people are doing stuff not to emulate them but just to sort of work out what's what catches your eye as you say it's not I'm struggling for the word because it's not copy but it's like okay they've done that can I do that for my thing but just tweak it switch switch it up and how can I use it do you do you do headline writing and things because that's the sort of thing that I find hard how do you approach that when I worked on papers headline writing was a lot different because it really had to be quite snappy and 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 grabby in magazines sometimes we have quite straight headlines so I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve I I mean I would I personally avoid puns because I mean, sometimes people like a pun, and sometimes it's it's, it's quite clever. But um, I kind of like something that just sort of get just evokes a kind of feeling and sort of gives you an idea of what to expect. It's always important to have a cell, you know, sort of underneath that actually explains what you're about to deliver in terms of the text. So you can find a you know an interesting two-word headline or three-word headline but I think there still needs to be some sort of explanation as to what what it's all about yeah just like your little sub headline that goes underneath it I always think about that when I'm writing the name of a course for example like I'll have a, a name of a course but then it always has to have something underneath that tells you more about what you're what you're actually going to get if you dive in yeah and I think I think now with people's attention span you know sort of dwindling by the second um, I think it's just very useful to have headlines that 
quite clear what you know what you're what you're offering or what you're about to deliver rather than trying to be really smart and clever about it because by that point you may have lost their yeah. attention and if you're and be- gone if, on to something else if you're being too cryptic it's gone I, I must admit I went through I went through my emails and uh, had a look at which emails were getting good open rates and the ones where I'd used a kind of cryptic subject line like oh what's what's this all about that nah, people aren't interested it was like you know tell me what tell me what's in this email or I am not opening it so it's almost like you don't it, don't, it doesn't have to be as hard as you think it might be in order to get people to do what you want. I would love to get some advice from you about interviewing because people do this now on podcasts, on Instagram Live, and they may never have had to really think, right, how am I going to put my questions together? And what to... So how do you go about preparing to interview someone? Well, I think it's important to know your subject. So I think that, you know, whoever you're interviewing... Um, you need to do your research and know what they're about, what, you know, stuff, any interesting elements about them. Just really read up about them so you know, you know, you've done your research, you know what they're about, you know, you know, don't be, so you're not asking questions that should be so obvious you know it's like you asking me so um you know what title what 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 magazines do you work on you know that sort of you know that sort of stuff should be known already um and I think it's really working out why you're doing the interview what you're trying to get from that interview and and thinking well once you know what you're trying to get then you just have to you just you just have to get it basically um you have you know you have to work out what 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 do you want your readers to know or readers or listeners to know about that person or about about that issue and work out what you would like to know so sometimes interviewing because sometimes we use the word interview and it just sounds so big but inter- we interview our friends and family every day if you know you you know you if if something happens to a friend of yours, if they said, oh, I've broken my leg, you would say, well, how did you do, break your leg? Where were you? What happened? Who picked you, you know, who picked you up? How is it feeling? How long will it take to recover? So, we, we, you know, that is an interview. So it's really just extracting the information that you think will be interesting and relevant to your readers by asking the right questions. And don't be afraid to actually do a list of questions. If you feel that you can't do it, you know, just from the top of your head, um, have a list of questions. There's no, you know, just just sit down and work out what you really want to know and, and write the questions down. That's absolutely fine. I, I still do that. Um, so I don't, you know, forget a key, a, a key question. Sometimes what I've seen on Instagram is that two people just kind of seemingly just having a chat and that's fine. <laughs> and that that might be okay if that, that was you. Okay. If that was you and Mel B, we're living out <laughs> together. That might be valuable. But in most in most in most cases, you're going to want to have a really good reason for putting this person in front of your audience. Aren't exactly, you? yeah. exactly. And if I'm going to join the live, I want to know why why I'm joining the live. What I'm trying to get, you know, what I oh what I'll be given from that that live chat. So it's not really about just having them and having a chat with them. It's really kind of getting some getting information from them. And also for the audience to have 
takeaways, things that are really useful to them that they can take away and think, oh, that was really good. I've got this tip on X, Y, Z. Um, so it's really thinking about, it's not interviewing, the, the, the interview styles that I find probably a bit annoying as sort of the ones that are quite indulgent. The interview, for me, an interview is not about the interviewer. It's about the interviewee and the audience and making sure, you know, the interviewee is given, um, you know, lots of information that the, the reader or listener is interested in. So when you get, you know, an interviewee going in there sort of talking about their, so an interviewer talking about their experiences or buttoned in and, you know, yapping about their situation, I get quite annoyed at that. Like, shut up. Every single point I think we've made, it comes back to, it's not about you. It's about the person that's going to be consuming, reading, watching, scrolling what you're doing and, you know, keeping them top of mind always in everything that you're putting out there. What's next for you and your mixed relationship with having a personal brand on the internet do you feel oh my you, goodness do you feel that you have to do it for work or do you actually quite enjoy elements you know of what? it I don't, it's really weird this whole kind of personal brand thing I mean I've never really seen myself as a brand but I suppose we are all individual brands now that's just the way of the world right with my Instagram I just started doing it because I loved it and actually when I joined Living Etc I joined temporarily. So I joined as um, an uh, acting deputy editor. I was covering the maternity leave. And so my initial aim in doing this was to help my freelance going forwards. You know, I, I just thought, okay, if I have some interiors on my Instagram and cover what I'm doing, it means that it, it may help me get more work going forward. Um, so it was really more about work than getting followers or anything like that. But then as it happens, I ended up staying at Living Etc. And then my, you know, following just sort of grew, really. So there's there's no grand plan. I think what I'd say in terms of Instagram, and I, I do still have relatively a, a small following, um, but what I'd say is just about being consistent I normally task myself with myself with posting the Monday, Wednesday and and Friday. The important thing is to post regularly and be consistent and post you know choose a day or days that you're going to be posting so that the people learn to without even realizing they they, they expect it. You know, when you don't post, they think, oh, where is she? So they get they get used to sort of getting your pose at a certain time of day or, or on a certain day. And just keep doing it. I mean, even if it's just once a week that you think, well, that's what that's the only thing I can really commit to. Do you know what I was also wondering? Interiors has got a diversity uh, issue, like many mm. industries d- does. And also you speak for women in journalism you're on the, the board of women in journalism do you feel that is a role that you are comfortable with playing as well as that's something that's important to you I do think it's important I think it's important for me to be visible um I, I mean now I look back on the, the features and lifestyle sector in journalism that I used to work in and they you know it's 
it's a bit more varied than it's or diverse than it used to be, and more certainly more diverse than interiors now. And so I do think it's important for me to show up and show my face, particularly for people who are coming, you know, people of colour coming into the field to sort of see someone like me and which may encourage them. So so often, you know, I sort of, I think, oh, you know, I may be asked to do something and I may not have the time, but there's always that part of me that says, you know, Basola, someone might see it and think, oh, I can be, a, you know, I can work in interiors magazines. Um, so often I, I do these things for that reason. As I said before, I'm an, you know, my natural leaning is a, I'm an introvert. And so I would quite happily not do any of it, you know, if given half a chance. But I do think it's an important thing to, you know, to show my face and, and be representative. Well, thank you for coming out of your... <laughs> Happy, happy, intro- happy introverted <laughs> place at home today to chat with us. I'm really, really grateful. And I've loved getting to know you better and hear more about what you do and what you've done. Thank you so much. I mean, it's just been such a treat to speak to you and to do this. And um, yeah, thank you very much for asking me. I loved that chat. I think I'll always consider myself to be a journalist at heart in the job of communicating new and valuable information with other people. It's a vocational thing, I think. And if you know, you know. Food for thought on introverts and online profiles. I thank Basola for reminding me, us, especially us social media types, that not everyone finds this easy, at all easy. Introverts can do it too, but they might need to lie down afterwards. That's it for now. Reviews on iTunes are so very, very welcome. Have I mentioned that before? Maybe a couple of hundred times. Um, It just helps other people to find the podcast. Much love. Until next time. Take care.